All right. Well, good morning, Contact family. It's good to see you guys after my extended little quarantine. I'm still kind of quarantining because we're going to do Thanksgiving here, but uh, I at least get to be here and see you guys, and it's good to see you, your smiling faces. I imagine your smiling faces because I can't see them, which is what I like. That's good right now. That's good. And, and in that thought, I want to I wanna share something that I've been kind of thinking about lately before we get into the, the message. You guys heard the phrase, faith over fear. You've heard it. You've heard it. What has faith over fear been meaning? Yeah, you don't want to answer now. <laughs> it's been meaning that we're going to keep doing everything exactly the way we've been doing everything and believing that it's going to be okay and that God's going to take care of it. I want to challenge that interpretation a little bit, okay? Now, some of this is based on a guy named James Emery White who's out in North Carolina who does the Church and Culture Conference. Uh, We've read a lot of his stuff at different times, and I've shared some of the things that he said before. He talked about it, and he said when he thinks about faith over fear, their church is shut down until there's a vaccine because they're too big. They can't do what we can do in here where we can spread out and have a lot of people still show up. They, They would have to have, you know, a tenth of their people allowed to come to church. And so it just, they can't do it in their space. But he says, what faith over fear means to him is that I have faith that at the end of all this, God is still doing something. I have faith that no matter what we have to reconstruct, what we have to refigure, what we have to change or do differently, God is still in control. God is still working through us. I have faith that this virus is not going to destroy the church even if we don't do things exactly the way we've done them before. And you guys understand, we've, we've done a lot of things that we haven't done the way we have before, right? And, and I heard last week there was a gajillion people here. More like 50, which is a much better number. We don't want a gajillion in this space because that would be very unsafe. But, but God is still doing something, right? God is still doing something. And no matter what happens... Is God still in control? You know, when I think about our topic, living in exile, in the book of Jeremiah, which is at the same time as the book of Daniel, Jeremiah tells the people in chapter 29, there's this famous verse in 29.11, but the context of this verse is, you guys, I know the temple is here in Jerusalem. I know this is the land that God gave you, but... It's time, you've got to go to Babylon now. You're going to exile. That doesn't mean God's not in control. What he says is, when you get there, build houses. Plant vineyards. Work for the benefit of those around you. So don't go over there and say, I'm not going to do the things I would do normally. I'm going to live sad and mourning. I'm going to live like everything's wrong. He says, no, go and flourish, because if you flourish, they flourish. For, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. All right? That's not exactly the the exact phrasing of the verse. But God has something for us, no matter what happens. If we believe God is in control, if we believe God loves us, then there's nothing that the world can throw at us that is going to overcome God. Nothing that's going to overcome God. So 
So we don't know what the next few months are going to look like exactly. Our plan is to keep on meeting here and doing things as wise and as safe as we can. So we're going to keep doing wise and safety. We're going to keep looking at what's going on, watching the signs of the times, and meeting those as the church, right? We're going to be proactive and say we want to do things that bless those around us, that show the love of Christ, that spread the kingdom. Because we have faith over fear. All right, let's talk about Babylon, living in exile. This was supposed to be a tight series that went one week after another, and instead it's going to take us into next year because uh, next week we're going to drop this series and go to a different one because it's getting toward Christmas time, and so we're going to do something different. So we'll eventually get through the book of Daniel probably, but we're going to be in chapter 3 today, and uh, we'll eventually get to chapter 4 and 5 sometime maybe in January or February or March or, you know, whenever we get there. It's still going to be relevant no matter when we get to it. So Babylon living in exile. Quick review, Babylon shows up from Genesis to the book of Revelation. It's all over the Bible. When it shows up, it represents human kingdoms in contrast to God's kingdom. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and they are told not to eat from the fruit of the tree, but they decide, hey, we think we know better than God, we're tempted by it, and we want that for ourselves, and so they take it. Babylon in chapter 11 is that same story again on a national level. A whole group of people get together and say, we're going to make ourselves equal to God by building this giant tower, Tower of Babel in Babylon. And that's the same story. And it's the story that we've all seen play out in our lives, right? Where there's something that we say, I think I know better than what God wants me to do in this situation. And we take that or we do whatever. And so what we learn from Babylon all the way from Genesis to Revelation is that when humans get together to build something, no matter how good it starts off, it's always going to end in Babylon. It's always going to end in Babylon because there's only one perfect and wise king, God. And so God's kingdom is the only one that can truly rule with wisdom. Now, at this point, like we just talked about in Jeremiah, all of Israel and Judah are in exile. There is no one except for some really poor people who they left there to tend the land. Almost everyone else has been taken out of the land and has been put into exile in Babylon. Some of them went to Assyria and never came back. So that's where we're going to pick up. Here's our review for what we've been doing in the book of Daniel so far. Chapter 1, Daniel and his friends, you remember, were taken captive, but they were told to eat the different food, and they didn't. They kept God's values, and what happened to them? You remember? They looked healthier than the rest. They were wiser than the rest of the young men in training, and they got promoted higher than the rest of them. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about this giant statue, right? It has a head of gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron and the clay. And then this giant rock gets cut out of a mountain and it smashes it into smithereens. And the rock takes over the whole earth and it makes Nebuchadnezzar freak out. And Daniel comes in and he is given the interpretation by God of the dream that it means human kingdoms will fall, but God's kingdom will stand forever. Amen, that's good news. All right, so the next story. What is King Nebuchadnezzar's takeaway from his dream? Does, does he get it? The first thing he's going to do, right, is say, I need to worship God, right? No, the first thing he's going to do is he made an image of gold 90 feet high. Well, he's the head of gold, right? So naturally what I'm going to do is I had a vision of a giant statue in my dream. I'm going to build a giant statue of gold because I'm the best king. Uh-huh, 
Yeah, smart, right? 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So they all, now in the Bible, if you've got it open, you'll see that it's the whole list again. This list gets repeated like three or four times, and there's this long list of instruments that keeps getting repeated. This is to be ridiculous, that that Nebuchadnezzar is using all the pomp and circumstance for this thing, and you're supposed to just be like, oh my goodness, this guy so doesn't get it. All right, so they all assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar's, man, he's got it right. He's got it, doesn't he? So his takeaway is to build an idol. He uses all the pomp and circumstance to get people to worship it. Some astrologers, however, call out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, for not bowing to the idol. Are God's people going to bow to the idol? No, not going to bow to the idol. They neither serve your God, said these astrologers, nor worship the image of gold you set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, that sounds threatening, doesn't it? What God indeed. What God indeed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What do you hear? Great faith. Awesome faith. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. You hear that faith and trust again? Here's the kicker. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not. That sounds like a victory for the empire, right? It sounds like a victory for Babylon if he doesn't save them. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, you're getting ahead, you're getting ahead. By the way, I haven't told you about this. This picture that's up here, this thing is called the Ishtar Gate. This, was, uh, this is a reconstruction of it, but that was a big gate that was built during King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. That's why I've been using it as the picture for everything. So that's actually in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had that built. And it's this giant gate. It's actually blue, like royal blue and gold. It's beautiful, but it's, you know, it's part of Babylon, so it makes sense to use as a picture for representing Babylon. Okay, anyway, even if he does not right, is actually a victory for the cross, right? 
Does anybody know anyone or has seen anybody on Facebook that's gotten sick with COVID? Anybody know anybody who's died from COVID? Did God save everybody? Could he have? He could have done it that way. That could have been the priority here. Why didn't he? Man, I don't have good answers for that. Why do good people die in car accidents? Why do loving parents lose their children? Why do people get cancer? But even if he does not, boy, that's some faith, isn't it? That's some faith. So when they say that, King Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, well, you guys have great faith. That's wonderful. No, he gets so mad. He gets so mad at their response that he heats the fire. He orders it heated seven times hotter than it already is. He gets the guards to take them, tie them up and take them and throw them in. And when they're being thrown into the furnace, the guards die because the fire is so hot. It kills them when they get close. And they're in the furnace. And what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Well, they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Some people think this might be Jesus. It's possible. It might just be an angel. We don't know. It doesn't say. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. What did he say before? Then what God can save you from my hands? What's he say now? Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on him. God saved them so much that it was like they never even went in the fire. Remember, those other guards died just throwing them in. They didn't even smell like the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Man, these guys keep getting promoted. Every chapter they've gotten a promotion so far. For doing what? For following God. For speaking the truth. No matter what it costs them. So here's the big question this asks of us. Are you going to bow? Do we ever have anything in life that asks us to do things in a way different from what we know God wants us to do? Is there anything that the Babylon we live in ever wants us to do that doesn't line up with the way of Jesus and the way of the cross? Most of it. (laughs) Most of it, yeah. Are there times when even our own families or our friends or other people are trying to take us down a road we know is not the way that Jesus wants us to go? 
So are you going to go ahead and bow? Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand for what I know is right. You see, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were presented with this question, will you bow? Three things I want to point out about them. First, they knew Babylon was in the wrong. And the first thing you've got to know so you don't bow is you've got to know what's right and what's wrong here, right? How did they know this? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. How are we going to know what's right and wrong? Is it going to be what our Facebook feed says? Is it going to be all the legislation? No, we're going to follow the word, right? We're going to follow the word and we're going to follow Jesus, the living word who came and was a person on this earth and lived in such a way that showed us in human form what right and wrong was. This longer verse from 1 Peter chapter 3. I think 1 Peter must have been thinking about the book of Daniel. Because there's a few different passages throughout the, the book that really remind me of the book of Daniel, and this is one. It says, starting in verse 13, Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What's that? That's knowing. That's we study. We, we think about it. We meditate on it. We ponder it. We're ready to talk to people about what it is that God is doing in our lives. But do this with gentleness and respect. This isn't a hammer. Did Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego take a hammer? No, they said... We're standing up for this. And when they were told, they respectfully disagreed with the king. And what did the king do? Throws him in the fiery furnace. But God showed up. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You think Nebuchadnezzar thought he'd messed up at the end there? He had a change of heart, didn't he? He went from what God can save you to you all better be paying attention to this God because this God is the only one who knows anything about what's going on. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Right? If we're going to suffer, let it be because we are doing something so in tune with God that the system around us can't handle it. Not for bending to the system and doing something wrong. All right, second thing. First thing was they knew Babylon was wrong. Second, they loved God more than their own lives. That's a challenging one, right? I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about my daughter. I'm thinking, what happens if I die? Can I, can I do that? Is that? Uh, listen to these verses. Matthew 16. 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, we have the cross up here. Somebody wearing around their neck. We got it in different places. Is the cross something that's beautiful? Because of what Jesus did, we see the beauty, right? But carrying around a cross is like wearing an electric chair necklace. 
Yeah, it's about saying, are you going to go to the firing squad? Are you ready to go to the guillotine for me? Th this is not uh, a fashion statement, right? This is a commitment to the death. Man, that's, that's uncomfortable. And that's why Jesus says this, is if you really want to follow me, you gotta, you got to give me everything. Can we do that? Are we ready for that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Are we ready? <sighs> Revelation 12. It's talking about the martyrs. It says in verse 11, they triumphed over the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You know what I'm saying? It, we're counting the cost, and we might have to go to death for it. But what's the word that it starts off here? They triumphed. They triumphed. This, this is not a meaningless way. This is not a, why, why did it even matter that that person died? When we are willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus, it is a triumph. And we have earned and gained the greatest thing that Christ gave to us. Amen? Man, they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Third thing, they trusted God no matter the outcome. Now, that's kind of similar to the one before it, but I'll, I'll do a little nuance with these verses. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. This is about trust. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. If you remember last time, we talked about the rock, right? The rock that comes from the mountain and it takes over the whole earth. The rock eternal, right? You will be kept in perfect peace when you trust in God. There's a lot of things going on around us, right? There's a lot of turmoil around us. There's a lot of all kinds of everything. When we submit to God's way, when we are truly trusting God with our lives, it brings a special kind of peace to us, a peace that passes all understanding. Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we try to figure out what all it is the Holy Spirit's doing with, for us, right? What all, is, what all is going on in us with the Holy Spirit? Here's one of the things. As we trust in God, the Spirit's going to empower us to overflow with hope. When you overflow with something, what happens? What's overflow mean? Say it again. As out of its bound, right. Is it staying in the container? What happens to the stuff that's sloshing out? Is getting on somebody else. That's what we want, right? When we're trusting in God, we're going to be sloshing hope out on people. Isn't that good news? Do people around us need hope? You know anybody who needs some hope right now? <laughs> a whole bunch. This is good news. This is good news. It's a challenge. It's a big challenge. But it's also incredible news that God is eternal, that God is the solid rock, that we can trust God with our lives no matter what, no matter if we live, no matter if we die. There is a triumph and a greatness that God has in store for us. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew this, and they were willing to put their lives on the line for the faith they had in God. So, our question today as we wrap. How might you show loyalty to God's kingdom today? Because remember, we're talking about two kingdoms here. We're talking about Babylon, and we're talking about the kingdom of God. There's a lot of ways we can show loyalty to Babylon. People are talking about it all the time on the news. How do we show loyalty to God's kingdom? Maybe it's surrendering and saying, I need to go behind this screen and get baptized today. Maybe there's something in your life where you know you are so tempted to bow, or you've bowed before to Babylon. And you say, I want to stop doing that, and we need to pray for repentance. Maybe it's, it's I need stronger trust so that I can start sloshing hope on people. Whatever it is today, I hope that you will consider carefully what it means to follow Jesus and that you will want that because it is triumph. It is the kind of God that can save people from a fire that killed people when they didn't even get in it, but those people lived. The kind of God that can interpret dreams, the kind of God that, that can do all of these incredible things that we talked about and more things that we'll talk about yet. The God of hope the God who you can trust. May you come to him today as we stand, as we sing.